The city of Tokyo is a living, breathing creature. As a cultural hotspot and place of pilgrimage for art, fashion, media and music enthusiasts alike, walking through the streets can feel like integrating yourself into some great organism which is constantly moving, creating, sprawling ever outwards. With a population of 13.9 million, Tokyo is Japan's most highly populated prefecture, and with a name which literally translates to the eastern capital, there is no denying the magnitude of the social, economic, political and cultural influence that radiates out of this city. So one must ask, in a place where people flock from all around the country and around the world to innovate, connect, and push for social change, where, spatially, does this change occur? We established in our previous episodes that Eastern queerness does not mirror Western queerness, that the visual cues many Westerners look for in our queer peers are not universal. We have also established that a gendered and sexual conservatism has persisted throughout Japanese culture since its implementation by the state two centuries ago. Applying this to our investigation into the queer fabrics that are interwoven into the tapestry of contemporary Eastern cultures, we must now ask ourselves, where do you go to find the LGBTQ activists of Tokyo? Welcome to episode 6 of Slash Queer. You're here with me, your host, Georgie Williams. Fortune favours the opportunistic gay. Or, that is what I would like to believe, led me to conducting the interviews included in our following episode. If you were to cast your mind back to episode 4, you will remember our interview with Professor Yuko Kano at Doshishi University in Kyoto. Professor Kano and I got chatting after we recorded her interview, and she informed me of a friend of hers, a young man working in Tokyo, whose work aligned with what I was planning on searching for in the city. I was looking to find individuals who were transforming physical spaces into places which could facilitate queer education, understanding, and foster a sense of community, and after reaching out to this man, I boarded a bullet train to go and meet him in Tokyo. Sho Akita is an independent curator who organises queer screenings on a platform called Normal Screen. Sho started this project in 2015 and collaborates with local cinemas, organisations and universities. When I informed him that I was looking to connect with LGBTQ activists in Tokyo, he was hesitant to call himself one, but after he told me about the work he was doing, it seemed like a fitting descriptor. Five years ago, so I have background film and video arts and I've been studying and listening long time. And I realized like I was only studying these work and I was not practicing. Also, I thought in Tokyo 2015, there are not many queer things happening, like things happening individually or like spread around Tokyo, but not like connecting and the people don't know each other. That's what I felt, personal point of view. And also like 
There are like queer films distributed sometimes and a film festival happening here too. But I thought I wanted something that I can talk about with people about queer arts and cinema all year long, constantly, maybe on, on social media. But I also wanted to have the space that people can hang and see one same visual image, representation or reflection of queer people. Both about Japan and globally. The other thing I'm really interested in is the networking of queer people globally. Like, I like the, the sense of the connection. So, I try to screen video and films all around the world. How do you feel about the queer scene in Tokyo? Is there anything that you think needs to change? I don't think so. Anything needs to change. We just need more queer related events and especially something to do with culture and art because I think since around 2015, there are many things happening related to LGBTQ issues, you know, politically, like same sex marriage and、uh, anti hate crime law, which is not, we don't have it, but like people are talking about it. And people create events to talk about these issues, which are amazing. And many interesting queer films are distributed, like Moonlight and like big LGBTQ cinemas. But I want more parties and more, I want more queer events for queer people. Because those LGBTQ issues related events are like, kind of,、uh, these are very important, but those are. They organize it to communicate with straight society, right? And then, like, we explain a lot to majority for society. And I think these are very important. But、uh, we also need more things for queer people in Japan in general, yeah. So, my final question is what challenges do you think that the LGBTQ community faces in Japan? Are there any issues that you think an individual from outside of Japan may not be aware of? This question is difficult. <laughs> I, it's difficult because I feel like there are too many. I don't know where to begin. The gender gap of Japan is among like more than 150 countries. It's always like 110, 120 something. It's like really bad. So that means like women don't, how do you call it? Like women don't have the equal rights to men. Like, In terms of pay and access to j o b s and Okay. And it, they don't consider about sexuality, I guess. It's, it's about gender. It says like、uh, in 2019, Japan is in、uh, the rank 121 among 153 countries around the world. And then, like, people are like, yeah, it is. Like, it's not like, that's crazy. Like,、mm-hmm. that's, that's how we feel, right? That's like queer people and women feel. I feel like it's longer to go for queer people because. But you really notice it's interesting. It's not like New York City. Even if you dress whatever you want, people are not on the street. When you walk, people are not gonna come up to you and punch your face. That's not. That's very, very rare in Japan. But I guess like microaggression is like everywhere and every day. 
So that's microaggression. Like you don't notice, like you, because it's like every day of your life, and you're growing up in that environment in Japan. So I feel like many people. I agree. I feel like most of the queer people here are feeling huge stress. But I think the tricky part is that many people can't tell because it's like you're growing up in that muddy environment mm -hmm. of homophobia.、Mm. Yeah. Regarding to what queer people can do in other countries for Japan, I don't know. But I think it's connected to what I do. But、um, it's very empowering to see queer people striving. Everywhere in any country, you know, like in Southeast Asia, you know, like or like in New York, wherever. And today we can see that, you know, in social media, like live. So I think it's great. I think we we can empower or inspire each other globally. And while we do it, I think we should not forget, like. We are not there yet. Or like Taiwan, people think it's like very liberal. Now they can get married and blah blah blah. But I know there are queer people who still cannot tell their friends or family that they are gay or you know their sexuality. So I don't want to forget those people too. But I think. People who have what they want tend to forget about it, right? So I think that's what we should not forget. I attended one of Sho's screenings at a newly opened queer vegan cafe in Taito City, a neighborhood in the north of Tokyo. This was the first I'd heard of any business or venue advertising itself under the term queer. And according to some of the staff that I chatted to, this was unusual in Tokyo. There was a mix of attendees at the event: a few Europeans, such as myself, predominantly locals, and individuals aged anywhere from their early twenties right up to middle age. The screening was a set of short films about the impact of the AIDS crisis on American queer culture, produced via the Visual AIDS Organization. The videos themselves were moving and insightful, but following their screening, what I found was that the event was predominantly allowing queer individuals to network and share in their experiences. Sho had been adamant that he did not refer to himself as an activist, but the event he was hosting was facilitating those connections occurring, allowing for like-minded people to collaborate and organize. Japanese queer citizens have a lot to discuss when it comes to the matter of their human rights. Although Japan is often lauded as the most progressive of East Asian countries for LGBTQ+ rights, this is a country where same-sex marriage is still illegal, as is adoption for same-sex couples, and lesbian couples are denied access to IVF treatment or artificial insemination. Sexual orientation and gender identity are not protected characteristics under national civil rights laws, which means that many LGBTQ+ Japanese citizens face discrimination in areas such as housing, healthcare, 
employment and education. Fortunately, residents living in the Tokyo metropolitan area are now protected under laws implemented in April 2019, but outing yourself in Japan can still have severe, life-altering consequences. Spaces like the Ryusen 112 Cafe, events like show screenings, provide a safe environment for those disadvantaged by archaic and demoralizing legislation. It was at this screening that Sho helped me make my next connection. Working at the cafe was Maiko Asami. Asami is one of the founding members of Waifu, a feminist collective dedicated to, in their words, creating a space which appears on a regular basis, where anyone of any gender expression, sexuality, race, body type, or physical ability can enjoy themselves without fear or harassment. One of the catalysts for the establishment of Waifu was founding member Ellen McCready being turned away from a lesbian party in Tokyo because she was a trans woman. Founding members of Waifu have since been interviewed by Time Out Tokyo about their project, and with Asami's assistance, I was able to arrange my own interview with them and two of their fellow founding members, Ellen McCready and Midori Marita. The four of us squeezed into a busy cafe in Shibuya one afternoon and let me pick their brains over why these kinds of spaces were so necessary in Tokyo's nightlife scene. I must add, before we proceed, that as there are four people talking in this recording, two of whom are speaking Japanese, you may wish to refer to the transcript available for this episode at slashqueer.com if you do find this confusing. My first question is, do you feel like there is an issue with a lack of inclusivity in LGBT spaces in Tokyo? If so, what do you feel may be causing this issue? She said, as far as Shinjuku Nichome, which is the main, you know, traditional gay, gay neighborhood, really, not queer neighborhood in the city, it's a nightlife area and it's more aimed at hooking up, right? So it's like, the spaces are very segregated by who is interested in who, and there's not much overlap between those spaces. So it's, it's even, even within like cis gay men's spaces, it's quite subdivided, like, okay, so a space for bears, a space for this, a space for that, and then like really, really, really not much overlap between even those spaces. So it, it might have to do with the difficulty, at least historically, but still now, of coming out in more, more generally in your life in this country. And so, like, 
the spaces that exist are really just for very temporary kinds of relationships. So be, being trying to go out in Nichome as a trans woman is extreme, is like disastrous because there's there's no place to go. Like you don't want to be in the spaces for a cis gay men. The spaces for cis gay women don't want you there in general. Not universally, but often. And so, like, where are you supposed to go? So for myself, I almost never go out in Nichome, and I just go clubbing in what amounts to straight spaces, which is which has its own set of uncomfortablenesses, but less so maybe than the kind of direct attacks you sometimes get in other spaces. Okay, that sounds exhausting. That sounds exhausting. Yeah, it's pretty pretty exhausting. <laughs> What is the mission of Waifu at this time? What do you hope to be the outcome of this project, both for yourselves and for your local community? The, the immediate goal of the party is to just create a space where everybody, anybody, can come and know that they'll be free of harassment and, and that they can be comfortable and have a good time without like being getting in trouble for who they are. So, the space is centered around queer femmes and trans women, but it's open to anybody. But we, we state very clearly at the door, we have, a, we have a card which we ask people to look at and read and verbally accept, um, agree to, which says no transphobia, no harassment, blah, 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 blah. And people are, people are let in on that basis. And then if we get a complaint, we just throw them out. So anybody can come in, but... If they make people uncomfortable, they will be asked to leave. That's the strategy we've chosen for that. And then for the well, so that, that's the short, short term or immediate part. Do you guys code? Wife, jitai no mokteki. Ma, ano narai narai imi janakute. Sori ijo arimasu. So, クラブ文化の廃れっていうのは日本すごい問題あると思っててそれそれに関してもやっぱりえっと最近若い子日本の若い子全然クラブ行かないからそういうえっと若い世代の子に向けてもすごい発信してそのクラブっていうのは昔の
あの会長として開催していてすごいあのまあ4階まで階段ですごくいいクラブなんだけど、まあ、それでちょっとアクセスしづらい人がいたりとか。するのでまあ、今後その、まあ、自分たちだけでは難しいかもしれないけど他のパーティーとコラボレーションとかしてもう少しあの、まあ、アクセシブルだったりその分,分園をやりやすいような会場になんか会場で開催できる機会が増えていったらその去年幸い2回できてできたから今年はまあもうちょっとできるといいなと。As far as the future of the party,、uh, one of the issues that we've got at the moment is this, the, it's a general problem with the whole, you know, small, like it's called small box culture of Tokyo clubs. So these, these small spaces, which tend to be accessible only by stairs, so there's no elevators, it's quite hard for people with certain kinds of physical conditions to access these spaces. And we, we've been talking about this a lot within the organizer group. But to move to a larger space requires a scale and a level of funding that we haven't got at the moment. And so last year we did two collabor- collaborations one with Mutech, which is a digital art and music festival, and the other one with this lesbian party called Goddess. And both of those were inaccessible spaces. So we're hoping that this year we can do more of these things and ultimately, you know, maybe even in a non collaborative environment. Start, to start holding parties in bigger spaces. So we're looking to grow. Okay, that's a thing. No transphobia, no homophobia, だけじゃなくて、no racism も一応入ってるから、あのいろんな人、いろんな人が運営に参加してくれると、もうちょっといろんなアイディアが入るからいいかな。Um, our, organizer, so our organizers group is、uh, Japanese and also non Japanese women, okay, but no POC at the moment. And so that's, that's a thing. And it's, so in, in the party itself, it tends to be quite low on POC. Of course, it's, it's, a, it's a general problem with the demographics of the club scene here. It's not really in our control, but it would be much nicer if the space was more diverse in that sense as well. And so we're hoping that that's something that will. Change in the future, too. Okay, and then for me, if I can add to that, so one, one thing that, one effect that WIFE has already had, we've only been going for six or seven months. Six or seven months, is that about right? We started in May, beginning of May, I can't do the math, eight months? <laughs> But, um. You're doing great. Okay. The policy that we've got, it's. Been showing up around the city in other parties too.、Mm-hmm. So people have, people have been posting these kind of policies elsewhere as well.、Mm-hmm. And, and it would be so great if that kind of policy started spreading to bigger clubs, bigger parties,、mm-hmm. and maybe just the space in general.、Mm-hmm. And if not, if we, could de- like, if we could develop a network of parties, a network of spaces that was a genuine alternative. I mean, also, you know, wife is an alternative already to Nichome and these more traditional. So, wife is already an alternative to, these, to Nichome and these more like segregated spaces, shall we say. But, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're doing them like every six weeks, every two months. And it would be great if, other, if a network of other parties and spaces developed that was like 
a weekly, like all the time, where one can go out in a, in a more general kind of queer space. Yeah. So, like, So the collaborative things we did last year, the one with Mutech was, you know, Mutech is, Mutech is a big deal in the general club scene. And so for us to be able to present this kind of policy in this kind of space was quite important, we think. And then for the, the club with Goddess, which is like a, a classic, big Nichome party, to do, to do something with them was also a, a very nice bridge-building kind of situation. So hopefully this, this, this continues. Okay, go. <laughs> あの、多分5月とか4月の時には全こう想像できてなかったけどなんかワイフが Okay, so so Michael said, um, so one thing that we didn't expect at all from starting this party is the the sort of broader impact it's had. So um, Sapphire Slows, who, who regularly DJs for us and does activism in the broader scene, uh, has, been, has gotten a lot of talk invitations to speak about our policy and to speak about inclusivity in these spaces. So have I. So we gave a joint talk last year at um, Sound, Gender, Activism, feminism, or something like this. <laughs> it's a collective that's based in London. So they, they, they did a thing here, and we gave a joint talk there about on, the, on these topics. Um, she's had a couple talks, and it's been really nice to be able to spread this kind of discussion out, even outside of just queer spaces. What can activists and allies based outside of Japan do to support Japanese queer communities? やっぱり私にらは知ってもらうってこと。知ってもらうっていうこと広めて日本でこういう活動してますよっていうことをあの日本国内だけじゃなくて外からも知ってもらうっていうことが一番大事だと思ってるんで、私たちのやってる活動を
yeah, and share our info and stuff like this. That would be great. I mean, it's it's a lot of people come through Japan, but but don't know what's going on. And so, well, so we're we're here and we are and be in touch. You know, yeah. Oh, and also another thing uh, to all the. DJs touring through. Be in touch. We, mm. we come play. Mm. Yeah. Mm. We would so love to set something up for you. So come. Mm. Yeah. So Just text. So, そうだね。そう、そうだね。そう、そうだね。そう、そうだね。そう、そうだね。そう、そうだね。そう、そうだね。そう、そうだね。そう、そうだね。そう、そうだね。そう、そうだね。そう、そうだね。そう、そうだね
is to update one, set, one part of my paperwork in accordance with my U.S. passport um, to female and not update the other part, which, which was existing before, which is the place where our marriage is registered. So I am officially, legally, bureaucratically multi-gendered, which is sort of fucked up, to be honest. <laughs> and it's not, it's, it's not, it, well, A, it doesn't make sense, B, it's bizarre, and C, like, it's not even clear what our marriage status is. So, we are in the process of crowdfunding a lawsuit to sue the government to clarify the situation, and in the, in the best case, not obviously clarify our personal situation, but also give the government no option but to recognize same-sex marriage. And so, hopefully this could be the case that forces the government to make this a possibility for a lot of people. So that crowdfund is live, and if you feel like supporting, that would be wonderful. So we're doing action on this front, not just for the, on the legal front, but also within the party and within these events. So if you chose to donate to the crowdfund, that, then that would also be supporting our activities as waifu. For example, this move to more accessible spaces that we were just talking about. You can find the link to Ellen and Midori's fundraiser at slashqueer.com forward slash fundraising. If you can give, please do. These two women have taken on an unfathomable task in the name of pushing LGBTQ plus rights forward in Japan, and even the smallest donation will help towards making that change happen. It has been argued before, oft by individuals absolved from any substantial political engagement, that the establishment of queer-focused or queer-exclusive spaces is an act of self-segregation which is a disservice to the LGBTQ community. That our desire to organize as a collective in one place is a separatist practice. It was Gavin Brown in his paper, Mutinous Eruptions, Autonomous Spaces of Radical Queer Activism, who wrote of the autonomous queer spaces he ethnographically researched emerging in London during the early 2000s. Brown observed that individuals in these spaces celebrate gender and sexual fluidity and playfully subvert normative binaries. Participants in these spaces actively create them in order, temporarily, to revel in their otherness, difference, and distance from mainstream society. By unsettling fixed identities in this way, the activists claim an autonomous space in which to be on their own terms. The activist element of the work of Waifu or Shoakata comes in creating these spaces, temporary but invaluable nonetheless, where one was not required to limit themselves based on cisnormative and heteronormative expectations of social behaviour. Activism is so often misconstrued as an aggressive battle, a loud and unambiguous pushback against a regime or ideology. But there is a quiet power, 
in ensuring that a place for queer individuals to just be without judgment or labor is available. It is not an act of segregation to provide a community something which those outside of it have the fortune to take for granted every day. It's equity. One late evening, I found myself standing at the intersection of two bustling streets in Shinjuku, unable to read the street signs and unsure of how to get to my destination. And I realized that I was likely going to have to make myself uncomfortable by asking a stranger for directions. In this moment of anxiety, a parallel presented itself to me between my feelings of confusion and misdirection as I stood alone in the Tokyo street and the means through which I had to access the queer circles I had discovered during my time in this city. Word of mouth had been all that I could rely on, from Professor Kano in Kyoto introducing me to Shoakata, to Sho introducing me to Asami from Waifu, and later to Ken Nakahashi at his gallery. It was Ken who then introduced me to Eikimori's art, which I mentioned in episode 4 of the podcast. By and large, it felt like you had to know who to ask. I wondered how much I would have been able to find out about these communities if I had grown up here myself, a queer individual in a city where queerness is not as visibly communicated. I wondered what it must take for an individual like Sho, or any of the members of Waifu, to practice making their work accessible and easy for an outsider to discover and involve themselves with. I thought about what Sho had to say, about how easy it is to forget how fortunate we are to have what we have when we've obtained it. It is one thing to establish a queer project or rally around a cause when people are present, visible, and requesting it. You face an entirely different kind of struggle when you are trying to bring an issue to light which has for so long been kept behind closed doors. When Sho talks about microaggressions, he is talking about those small discomforts, those seemingly minor acts of hostility or discouragement that build up over time until the straw breaks the camel's back. When Sho or Waifu put on an event, it is a pushback against that tide of aggressions and slights against us that seeks to wash queerness from the mainstream consciousness. It generates a space, both physical and social, where people are safe enough to let what makes them different be seen. Every time this happens, that person becomes a signpost, demonstrating to other queer individuals that there is somewhere they can go, where they too can be themselves. Sho and Waifu are not just providing places to be, but showing people where to go, to find refuge, solidarity, and community. Spaces are made by those who inhabit them. They are generated in the image of those present, and in the congregation of those who attend these events, queer spaces manifest. They are not bound by walls or doors, and they can spring up anywhere, growing in spite of all that has been done to limit and prevent their existence. Tokyo's LGBTQ activist scene is growing every day, setting roots down in cafes, nightclubs and art galleries, and spreading out into the city. 
It is emblematic of what gives Tokyo its charm, and spurs that sense of intrigue. That you will find what you are looking for in this city. If, that is, you know where to look. This episode of the Slash Queer podcast was edited by Sam Clay and scripted and produced by me, Georgie Williams. A very special thanks to our guests Sho Akita of Normal Screen and Maiko Asami, Midori Morita and Ellen McCready of Waifu. I'd like to also ask our listeners to share or consider contributing to Ellen and Midori's crowdfunding project, where they are suing the Japanese government to recognise their marriage. As previously mentioned, you can find a link to their GoFundMe page at slashqueer.com forward slash fundraising. You can find Waifu's page by clicking their link on slashqueer.com forward slash resources. Cases like Ellen and Midori's can be the tipping point in matters of social justice and legislative change, so please give them your support. It is a very worthy cause. As we take this podcast from Japan to Indonesia, I want to take a quick moment to thank all of you who have supported this project, particularly my Patreon subscribers, so big thanks to Christine, Amy, Lindsay, Bronya, Natalia, Jackie, Padu, Sam, and Christopher. Your pledges have now covered one of my flights across Indonesia to conduct interviews, so you are directly responsible for some of our upcoming content, which is pretty cool. If you fancy joining my gang of delightful patrons, you can find the Slash Queer Patreon at patreon.com forward slash slash queer. That's S-L-A-S-H queer. The link is also available on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. Your pledges help ensure that these stories are shared with listeners all around the world, from students to educators, activists to healthcare workers. And it's through ensuring that these stories are heard that we can celebrate in and utilize the power of our histories as a community. Stories unify us, and as we continue with this project, I hope to be able to source more kinds of stories that can bring us together in the face of adversity. This episode was recorded on location in Tokyo, in Japan. Music in this episode was composed by Kevin MacLeod. If you enjoyed this episode or have any feedback, please get in touch on Instagram or Twitter at at slash queer, or email us at slashqueer at outlook.com. Once again, until next time, stay kind, stay radical, and stay queer.